Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Discourse, a short-form, one-on-one interview podcast with filmmakers, actors, and other film industry folks, brought to you by The Playlist and hosted by myself, Mike D'Angelo. Today, we are discussing a smaller film, but one of my favorites to come out of Sundance this year, which is Birth Rebirth. It's the debut feature of director Laura Moss. The film follows a pathologist played by Marin Ireland who is attempting to cure death and receives a chance to test her experiment on a human being, forcing multiple lives down an increasingly dark path. The thriller also stars Judy Reyes, Brita Wool, AJ Lister, and more. Coming onto the podcast to discuss the film is director Laura Moss, who is just delightful. Uh, the movie is a reimagining of Frankenstein and is one of those emotional thrillers that sticks in your mind long after you finish it. It wrestles with a lot of big questions and features two outstanding performances from the leads. Uh, Marin Ireland, who plays, for all intents and purposes, the Dr. Frankenstein of the film, and Judy Reyes, yes, Carla from Scrubs, uh, as a desperate mother, I'll just say that much. I say this in the interview, but honestly, my favorite performances from both of those actors who are always super solid in everything. Before I shoot you over to the interview with Laura, I've got to tell you that the discourse is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Playlist Podcast, Bingeworthy, and Deep Focus. We can be heard on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite shows. Be sure to subscribe and drop us a comment or a rating as we do very much appreciate it. Or head on over to theplaylist.net for film and TV news, reviews, interviews, and more. Okay, let's jump over to my chat with the very talented Laura Moss. So it is a pleasure to have you discuss Birth Rebirth with me because I watched this recently. It is still rattling around in my head. So congratulations on a phenomenal movie and all that comes with it. How does it feel to have this finally rolling out outside of like Sundance and all that? It's really exciting. Um, it's playing at the IFC Center in New York City, which is the movie theater I used to sneak off to as a kid and watch crazy indie and midnight movies. So yeah, it's it's a dream come true. And it's also really fun. You know, Sundance is an incredible platform, but it's limited. So it's really fun to talk to folks who are not uh, cinephiles necessarily uh, about their experience with the movie. Had you brought shorts to Sundance before or was that your first Sundance experience? No, um, I had I had brought shorts to South by to Tribeca, never to Sundance. Um, but I did. I have worked as a production designer, so I have been to Sundance a couple times with films that I've designed. So, yeah, I, it was insane to be a director there premiering the movie at midnight. It was pretty terrifying, to be honest, but uh, it, it turned out OK. Yeah, crowds were, were pretty accepting. I know all the stuff I read, you know, coming out of Sundance on it, were, it was phenomenal. So it seemed like everybody really embraced it. It it was a it was it was good. The crowds were good. Um, there were a few people who fainted during the movie, um, which I think uh, helped <laughs> it's with only the good buzz, buzz. But honestly, I think 
think it might have just been the altitude and the drinking. So I, I, I won't really credit my movie with it, but it was a fun little blurb. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I definitely want to talk all about the movie, but I want to kind of start with your origins as as a film fan and a filmmaker. So what kind of maybe movies made you fall in love with the, you know, film and what, you know, made you want to do it for a living? Was there a specific maybe experience where you, it just kind of clicked or was it kind of like a slow and steady build? Well, you know, I've been a horror fan for as long as I can remember, but I was, I mean, I think I'm, I'm like most people in that I, I, I knew what actors did. I, I kind of knew what a director did, but I didn't really think about all of the minutiae that went into filmmaking. I, I certainly wasn't someone who was making my own movies in high school. So it really wasn't until after college when I started, I, I randomly landed a job as a PA and I started experiencing film sets that I really fell in love with the process. And yeah, that was it for me. I mean, I think it, I, I love being on set. That's my favorite part of the filmmaking process. And it's just the, maybe the adrenaline and the uh, teamwork and the like the ability to sort of pull together all these moving parts. I really think I fell in love with the process uh, first. Were there any genre films that that maybe you really pulled from to kind of either make your first shorts or make this movie where were you kind of looking at certain directors or films? Yeah, they're not all they weren't all genre people. Um, you know, I like Todd Haynes Safe was a big reference for this movie just because I think it's able to achieve this slow creeping dread. Um, but I think it's it's won't be a surprise to folks who know Cronenberg that there's a lot of Cronenberg influence on in this. Uh specifically Dead Ringers was a huge kind of structural and influence on this movie and also in terms of the sort of tone and the dry sense of humor. Yeah. I've kind of called it an emotional horror movie because of how much it wreaks havoc on on just you feel like emotionally drained by the end of it. <laughs> um <laughs> which I I would say is a huge compliment. I love movies like this. So going in was that kind of the dread you wanted to to make happen like build 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 and then eventually kind of just drain people of of their emotions throughout this experience uh you know i guess i i love hearing that that's that's the effect that it had um <laughs> you know i was really um the reason i love mary shelley's frankenstein you know the novel is because of these sort of big life and death philosophical themes and i think that's what really drew me to this idea in the first place and then when i got into the reality of of plotting the movie you know, it became a lot less heady and a lot more, um, you know, immediately personal. We, we've we all all experienced grief and loss and the desperation to want to bring back a loved one or turn back time. And so, yeah, I, the, I guess I was personally a little surprised about how, like, emotionally urgent uh, it was. Even shooting, you know, Judy Reyes, who's, who plays a desperate mother, I'll say, in this film, without giving too much away has you know herself has a child and really tapped into her own kind of elemental experiences as a mother and it yeah it comes across on screen yeah it does as a parent it just it's a primal kind of fear you tap into there and it's it's a wonderful wonderful job but what made so th was this always the the film that was going to be the first one where there are multiple projects that almost became the one what made this one be your first feature film yeah, it's funny. This was not going to be the first one. Um, this was an idea I had in my early 20s. You know, it, it, like it was it, just a 
the thought kept kind of ringing in my head. What if what if Victor Frankenstein were a woman and what if she needed to gestate her own materials while she was creating something with her mind? So that was really all I had in terms of a concept. And it went in a drawer. Um, and then years later, you know, I had made several shorts. I was trying to make my first feature, which which is the one I'm hoping is next. It, it's a little bit larger in scale. And it became pretty clear to me that as a first time filmmaker, I wasn't going to be able to get that budget um, approved. And so uh, I was asking myself, you know, what story means a lot to me, but it's also relatively contained. Um, I hope it doesn't feel this way, but, you know, the, the movie takes place in just a couple locations with just a couple of characters. And so it was it was shootable. Um, and, you know, I dug this idea out of the drawer and it, it quickly became an obsession for me. But, um, yeah, it was it was not supposed to be the first one. Just kept haunting me for years. And I imagine as you're pitching this, like I know Shudder is always really supportive of filmmakers and, and kind of tends to be hands off. But before you had them, were there a lot of early attempts from the outside to like change the story about like how integrally female it is? Because it, that's a very important part of it. And I can imagine that some studios were just like, well, can it just be a dude? <laughs> a lot. Oh, there were a lot of really funny meetings that I had early on trying to get financing. I mean, no one no one attached who really fundamentally tried to change it. But before anyone was attached, I had an executive say, I like the movie, but do you have to say the word placenta so much? And I said, <laughs> well, yes, we do, because uh, it, was, it was clearly not a good match. Um, yeah, somebody wanted to add like a cop that was investigating the whole situation. So there were there were funny attempts to sort of, uh, I think, take some of the edge off. And, and like you said, not have the mo movie be so heavily female focused. Um, but that's what's great about Shudder. I mean, we we had gone through the Sundance screenwriting labs. And I think not only just the improvements to the script that happened as a result of those labs, but I think the reputation of those labs helped gave gave me some weight when I went into these meetings to really be able to articulate and defend my movie. Um, although with Shutter, I didn't have to. Like you said, they they're wonderful. They're really supportive, and they and they tend to support the filmmakers and let them do their thing. Yeah, and you're able to kind of take this very, I would say, I mean, it's high concept, ridiculous concept, whatever you want to say. Um, <laughs> Of, you know, I mean, the Frankenstein of it all, reversing death, and, and you make it very real and digestible and believable. What goes into making people accept that? It is. I knew that, I mean, there are some great over-the-top Frankenstein movies that I love. Yes. You know, from Frankenhooker to, to <laughs> Reanimator, if you want to, you know. Sure. But uh, I knew that this movie had to be medically grounded, in, especially because I think it deals with some issues about female bodily autonomy you know i i knew it had to be medically grounded for the audience to go on the journey with us um and it was pretty intimidating in the writing phase you know knowing how how little i did know about the the medical science i did some research uh i read some books i some some articles on regenerative medicine <laughs> but ultimately what what made the film was um Emily Ryan was our medical advisor. She's a pathologist at Stanford and a, a friend of a friend who we we hooked up with. And she I told her to tear apart the script. And she did. She like redlined everything. But she also is very story minded. So she was able to say, OK, this wouldn't really happen 
but I know what you need to happen and here's some medically incredible ways to achieve it. But she was also on set with us. So she was working with my actors, with the production designers. And, you know, I think it really does lend that authenticity to things because our actors are moving with confidence through their medical professions. Well, obviously, Judy has had a little experience in that. Oh, <laughs> just has. a little bit with Scrubs. Um, and I mean, the movie hinges so much on those two, Marin and uh, Judy Reyes. They've always been great and dependable, you know, character actors that are always popping up in these things you love. But these like really feel like my favorite performances for both of them because they're just both so unique. They play so well off of each other. The the dynamic between the two of them. I know you wrote it with Judy in mind. Did you also write it with with Marin in mind? How did she come to it? Um, well, it's interesting. I I just I just latched onto Judy. She she there was a performance I had seen of hers uh, in a 2013 film called Gun Hill Road that was a a real dramatic performance that stuck with me. So I had her in mind for Celie for her role. I was always a fan of Marin, but I think because this this female Victor Frankenstein character is so out there. I didn't really, I wasn't picturing any single person when I was writing it. I just knew I needed an actor who was fearless. And that's the the best way I can describe Marin. She's, I mean, she has a great body of, of film and television work. I knew her from her stage work, but yeah, she's, she's captivating. And, and it, like, it's just always so excited to dive into s- sticky, complicated things. She was she was my first choice when I actually sat down and thought, how do we put this wacko character into a human body? Two first choices. Amazing. That does not always happen. It really doesn't. And I think, you know, the um, it was actually, a, a you know, not a blessing in disguise because it was terrible. The pandemic, I think the silver lining of that for us was that, you know, we were greenlit in early 2020 uh, and then everything stopped. And so I was able to approach Marin at a time when she had actually some bandwidth and time to to read, you know, and I, I feel like I I happened to catch her at a moment where I had her undivided attention because she's always working. So I think, you know, that that's probably one of the factors in us being able to to get Marin. And, you know, also Judy, we shot two years later, we shot, but, um, you know, we just happened to catch her at a time that she was free. It's like, that's always the the game. It's really tricky. Yeah. So how much do you invite them into the process when they come on? You said you had two years in between that. Do you let them kind of suggest things, change the characters for them after they come on? Well, as I said, since I wrote it for Judy, I didn't have a lot of changes that I wanted to make to that character. Um, but, you know, yeah, I it's a conversation and all actors are different. Um I had intense, very specific backstories for these characters, but as a director, I tend not to share those unless an actor welcomes it, you know, because it's it's so much, I don't want to interfere with their process if they're building something that works for them better than what I've imagined. Um, both Judy and Moran are just so collaborative. So we were able to have a lot of conversations on Zoom before uh, filming. We only really had two days together of rehearsal before we actually dove into the shoot. Um, and that was really intense table work. That was, we knew, you know, we had 24 days, we weren't gonna shoot in order, sadly, you know, so how do we map out the emotional beats of this story and make sure they really know where they are at all times? And they obviously are very experienced with that, but, you know, I think as a director, it's helpful for us to all kind of unify and get on the same page in advance. 
And, you know, speaking of like unification, in my research for this interview, I noticed a bunch of people were mentioning the vibe on set, like 75% female filled with like a lot of sharing of past experiences. It sounds really open and kind of amazing. Did you intend on, you know, making the set that way or was it just a byproduct of everyone you brought on and it was like this happy little accident? Well, you know, it's funny. We were the lowest paying union job on the East Coast at the time. Uh, you know, it's it, we we didn't have we were not. Yeah, we were not the the coveted movie sure. around town. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, for that reason, we were attracting people who really wanted to make this film. Um, you know, we had really, really talented people working on it, but they had read the script and connected to it emotionally. And that's how we were able to attract them. So I think that is a huge part of it. I know that for, you know, the women on set who have given birth or have had children, that it is that 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 those experiences told in a, a sort of unsanitized way was meaningful t to them. I know that, you know, because of uh, the, you know, attack on women's reproductive rights, there were a lot of people that wanted to come to this set and and have this experience. So. You know, I think we had a particularly passionate crew and it was meaningful to me to be able to give people room to share their experiences and how it tied into the story. And the results, I mean, you can't argue with those because it, everything shows up on screen. Let's talk about the themes that you wanted to tackle here. You mentioned it a little bit before, but really like this movie is 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 about the, the reproductive rights and all that are, are there, but motherhood is such like a driving force and throughout this uh, and just, you know, parenthood in general, I really identified with, with some of it because of just the parent of it all and having a child and how you just can't accept that certain things can be a part of the equation. I'm trying not to give anything away, but really just how horrific it can be just every day being a parent and letting them out in the world. Was there anything else that you were like looking to touch on and weave in? Well, yeah. I mean, I personally am not a parent. And so, you know, but I was in my late 30s, I early 40s, basically, when this film was made. Um, and I feel like I was just at a crossroads that I think most people are at that age in life. You know, are you going to have children? Are you not? Are you going to do IVF? Are, are you are you making those decisions? Is your body making those decisions for you? So it, it was really in the ether when when we were getting ready to make the film. And I was really interested in a story of two women, one of whom kind of identifies primarily as a mother and one of whom identifies primarily with their work or their their passion. And what ways were they similar? Like how how could I really highlight what they had in common more than what they more than their differences because I feel like so often those roles are pitted against each other and of course mother and career are not mutually exclusive but you know I wanted someone who decided to have children and someone who didn't you know I wanted to make a film in which they did not end up as adversaries yeah let's talk about maybe some some other projects that you you mentioned or that you have in the works. You said you have another one coming up here that's a little bigger in scale. Is that Gordon? Is that still happening? That's Gordon. Well, you know, right now uh, we're in the middle of the, the writer's strike and the SAG after strike. So we were in the process of putting together like early development on Gordon uh, when the strike came down. So hopefully when things start up back again, we'll be 
attaching talent and shoring up our financing and and getting that going. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a horror comedy really that one about a misdiagnosed sociopath who's trying to date and be a good person in a <laughs> sociopathic world. Um, I think it'll be a lot of fun, but it's it's definitely bigger in scale and it's a period piece, so it, we need a little bit more of a budget. Interesting. I also heard that you were working with David Desmalchin on like a monster movie or something. Is there anything you can say about that? Yes, we were, and it, it didn't come to be. Ah. Um, David is like so incredible. It's It's a movie that he wrote actually called Hide Your Eyes, uh, which is uh, really about addiction and about the horrors of addiction. Um, it's a very personal story for him, and I, I really hope that it happens, but you know how things go. It's just, it's tough. Um, but I got the chance to direct David in a short film, and, and he's, I, I love that he's popping up all over this summer, uh, you know, in Oppenheimer, in Demeter. It, you know, he's just kind of incredible, and I, and I, I want to see him everywhere. Yeah, I love that he is having a bit of a, you know, a career surge right now because he he's and always Boogeyman. good. Yeah. Oh, and there's this great film called Late Night with the Devil that's doing the festival circuit now. Yes. I hope that that breaks through, but yeah, David's brilliant and mm-hmm. uh I'm so happy to see him yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Well, uh I I really do love this movie and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about it. For our listeners, I'll just say Birth Rebirth hits limited theaters on August 18th. I highly recommend searching it out. Laura, I can't say enough good things about it, and I really appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to seeing everything that you do next. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.